Hi folks, welcome to another edition of the Constos Convos podcast. In today's episode we have our first returning guest, Dominic Reynolds. Dominic and his brother John are a Glasgow-born writing duo that specialise in drama and comedy scripts. They began their career writing on various BBC television and radio sketch shows such as Only an Excuse, Naked Radio, Watson's Wind Up and the Karen Dunbar Show. Today, Dom is here to talk about his new YouTube channel, so tune in to hear what he's got to say. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the Constos Convos Podcast. Dominic, how are you doing? I, I am good. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Things are starting to loosen up a wee bit. Mm. Yeah, de- <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm very close. I've been very close to losing my mind a few times over the last, how long has it been? Four months? Fast approaching four months, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been very, very frustrating. Just everything kind of grinding to a halt. So it's just about being, you know, you're trying to work, you're trying to get on with ideas and things, but I've only really been sort of getting back into doing meetings and, and they're all over Zoom and things like that, but just, just to be sitting, talking to people about moving things forward, it's like, oh man, the relief you feel, you just come on, let's do something, you know? Absolutely. I've, I've, a few of the jobs have been trickling in for me, you know, we're doing it, social distance, uh, portraits, uh, I've also got like products that I don't really need anybody else here, so yeah. it's been good to do that sort of thing. And I think if, if you're starting to apply the common sense and the things you've learned from this, that you can move forward and I think you can do it safely. Somebody did say to me that not everybody's got common sense, but I don't think staying the way we are is going to help either. I think it's going to no. cause problems with even mental health and Absolutely. financial Absolutely. for people. So just easing up lately and starting to get back to normality and you know seeing some people that are close to us, I, think, I feel better anyway. One thing I was going to say to you is, obviously, you have been a wee bit busy. I have. The, the lockdown, because part of the reason, well, I wanted to bring you back in, mate, right? Because I got good feedback from the one we done, first of all, which, well done to both of us. Yes. <laughs> that was part of it. But I also had some people saying, like, I'd like to hear more about Dom's writing, how he does it. Just elaborate on that a wee bit more. And also, a project that you've been working on. Um, I've been privy to a preview of a new project that you and your brother had been developing. Yeah. Um, really good, mate. Really enjoyed it. So I wanted to talk about that. So we've got a wee bit to say again, and I think hopefully people will find it interesting again. Would you like to tell the people a bit more about your project? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a scriptwriter by by trade, and I work in television. Well, obviously, over the over the lockdown, everything's just stopped. Like everything's just kind of ground just grind to stay a halt nothing is being made nothing is being pitched and it's just this everything's up in the air everything's in limbo um and you've got a lot of time in your hands and one of the one of the things that we had always talked about that we always wanted to do was a youtube series of some shape or form that we could make ourselves but we could never think of an idea that we were like yeah that's i really want to make that it's not enough it's not enough to go and say yeah let's go and do a youtube series it has to be a, an idea where i I really like the idea and I'm excited about it because with YouTube, let's be honest, you're you're giving up your time for free. I mean, you may get to a stage where you have a significant enough following that you can actually monetize the situation. But I think if you're going into YouTube with that attitude, you'll never make any money from it. No, mate, you're exactly right because 
that's very much along the lines of this podcast. When you when you're starting to do something right, a personal project or something that you want to draw energy into, you got to really be inspired by it. People feed off your passion. They can tell if you're doing things for monetary gain. It's just it's soulless in a way. So as you said, you need to find something that you can get your teeth into. Yeah. But another another big one is, and I think this is part a really good part of yours as well that you can see it developing and you can see it much more you know down the line like when i'm doing these podcasts i've got ideas that i want to do ones with certain people and i can see tons of ideas coming to me without having to get stressed out and stuff so i think that's part of the thing and again you're right that you'd like to think that you can turn your passion into something that creates money as well so you can do it and it can free up more of your time. But as you says, just keep stuff that you really love. And I think it kind of grows naturally, doesn't it? It does, because if you, what it's, it's kind of like, what's the best way to make, like, people want to have, make money writing TV shows or, or radio. And how, what's the best way to do that? Well, the best way to do that is stop trying to make money doing it. Focus on yeah. being really good at it. So if you want to be a script writer, start writing scripts and stop trying to think about how you can sell that script you try to focus on how can I make that a really, really good script for, for yourself, for nobody else but yourself, because you want to be good at it for, for no other reasons. And if you're actually genuinely good at it, the more you show that around, the more people will notice that it's good. But people get into it for the wrong reasons. They like the idea of it, but they don't like the reality. And the reality is it's quite often very, very hard work, long hours. It's There's a lot of plates spinning. And, you know, when you're in a production, there's a lot of people coming in with their notes and their thoughts. It's a It's difficult. Which was one of the the things that I kind of led us to this kind of YouTube series because I obviously I I really like video essays I really like review shows and some of the the content on YouTube some of the shows that people are making are better than what you'd see on television some of them are just Absolutely. excellent but I, we we were always kind of against doing a review show because because we work in the industry it's like it's just like a professional courtesy I never liked the idea of sitting down and reviewing someone else's work publicly. Obviously, I have very strong opinions on TV shows and films and things that I see, but I don't like the idea of being public about it. Well, because it just... You're, you're welcome to your opinions. Of course. Jews, like, but there's something, thing, yeah. It's, keep it, in mind that whether you like something or not doesn't make it right or wrong, because he used to be, like, my brother especially, he's, he's quite a talented artist, and he'll send me stuff. Is that what you think? Obviously, more if not, it'd be positive because we're into the same stuff and, you know, our likes kind of align that way. But sometimes I'm like, Davey, it doesn't matter too much what I like because sometimes you, you can be too influenced in what other people's opinions to actually come up with something that's true to you or something that you stumble upon. You're like, oh, this is great. So sometimes you're too worried. And again, with my photography, you know, you can be critical of what obviously more often not, as you say, just to be polite, to bite your tongue. The criticism and then it can be difficult to take or sometimes it's it's quite enlightening as well, isn't it? To be criticised, that's what makes you grow. Well, you so, so when you're working within that context, you're going to get notes, line notes, all kinds of things where people are going to be ripping your material apart and you have to deal with that. But from my point of view, if I was saying, I'm going to make a, a show about this, like let's say like a review show, have, having worked in the industry and I know that how easily a production can just go completely awry and there's all kinds of factors as to why it doesn't turn out very good and then you see some review show and maybe they're ripping on it and yeah it's funny and it's entertaining and etc cetera, etc cetera. but when you look at it from the sort of an industry thing you think mm, yeah but there's other things that may have happened along the way there that that 
it, it, that, it didn't work out the way the people wanted. Nobody sets out to make a bad film or a bad TV show. It just lots of things happen along the way that make it turn out that way. So I, I know how difficult that is. So to make it, to do a review, we talked about, could we do a review show? And I just didn't feel comfortable with it because I thought, obviously I will sit with people and I will make, you know, people I know and make comments about films I like and I don't like. But doing it publicly, making a video, putting it out there, I just didn't like. I just didn't like the idea of it. So we kind of shelved the ideas for a long time. Then we would have another idea here and then didn't really like that. But then thankfully during lockdown, with nothing else to do, I didn't want to watch any, you know, you get a lot of time to watch TV. <laughs> you know, Netflix and Amazon are doing very well from this. So I don't actually watch a lot of TV, Tom, is what you said that I think the customization of YouTube, you can find stuff that's really suited to you rather than, and I know you work within the industry and you're making great shows, but sometimes you just, you find these, you stumble upon these channels that you're like, wow, it's like, so custom to your taste. If yeah. You like, it's just, and people are yeah. going everything behind it because some of these guys are obviously making good money but ones want to make good money or people are so passionate that it's the wild west isn't it it's actually trying to sift through it all to find quality as well that can be difficult at least with the television and movies you've got that filtering system that you've got people in the know that are going to say this is well done or so you, you actually help but if you're willing to put the work in on youtube you can find some great stuff i did well the great the great thing about youtube is is you can just you can make something yourself and put it out there you don't you don't have to worry about other people coming in and telling you X, Y, or Z. You can literally learn on the job. You get it out there. You're like you want to make something, go and make it. Put it out there. See what people think. And um, so for that reason, I was always kind of attracted to YouTube because I always thought if we could think of an idea that was good or a bit that we could make with what we have, you know, it, the idea of just being able to get on with it. You know, without well, no, this is going to take two years of development before we even get we even get a first episode out. But it was getting the right idea. It was you know, yeah, you could just do it. But you have to have the right idea. You have to have an idea where you go, I really like that. So one of the things that happened, and again, it probably wouldn't have happened without lockdown, is that I didn't want to watch the news or watch any sort of you know dark movies. I I was said to Vanessa, look, I just want to watch comedy movies and comedy shows because. You turn on the news, and you know if if ever if everyone's not dying of COVID nineteen, they're 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 you know they're rioting in the street. Everyone hates each other right now, right? So I don't want to see that. But no. let's 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 stop. No, that's what the news wants you to believe. Yeah, because, yeah. Remember, I've worked I've worked in press. You know, I've worked for newspapers and briefly doing stuff in television and blah blah. Is People are much more interested in watching the news when they're fearing something. They're not going to watch it and watch, you know, that was the old uh, Ron Burgundy thing, wasn't it? That they do the happy segment at the end of the news. It was like squirrels uh, jet skiing and water skiing and stuff. That's just the lighthearted stuff. But people are not interested in that. So that's why if you keep on watching the news, you're just getting all the doom and gloom of the day. I've been sent videos of these protests that have been very violent. You've seen peaceful ones. There's... Seven billion people are there. You can paint any picture you want, can't you? Well, that, this is this is true, and up in that. I, 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 and I, I would get you know you read a narrative, so you'd see a spin on something, and then it would annoy me because I'm going, well, you're spinning that to create, oh, I, I, and and as I, I write, this is this is getting under my skin. It's irritating me. So we just decided we're going to watch comedy stuff. So I dug, I dug out lots of old comedy movies and things, and you know started watching Airplane and The Naked Gun, and I haven't seen these movies <laughs> in years. So we, we were watching all this stuff and then one of the movies I put on was The Burbs, which is the old Tom Hanks movie with uh, Joe Dante directed. 
And this is one of my favourite movies. I, I, I've kind of lost count of how many times I've seen it. I just think this is great. It's so funny. I, I've seen it more than any other Tom Hanks movie ever. I really love it. And then it occurred to me that A, the film tanked. No, it, was, it didn't do well. And people didn't like it. 30 years on, it's still not really got any kind of recognition. I mean, you get movies like, say, The Princess Bride, which was a box office flop. But 20, 30 years after the fact, people now recognise, do you know what? This is a brilliant movie. It's just it didn't do well. So then that just got in my head and was like, what if we did a YouTube series where we take films that have not been very successful but are actually great films that that never got their moment in the sun and we do a video on why these are so good and why you should go and watch them. And that became the show Underrated. And I phoned John and I said, look, I've got this idea. We should start with the burbs. And then right away, we had like maybe a list of 10 movies right away where we were like, yeah, that movie, that movie, that, you know, just ones that I love. That's a good idea, isn't it? It just yeah. goes on. And these, these, these are stories. And what I liked about kind of going back to why I didn't want to do a review show was because I'm I'm being critical, but I'm now doing the opposite. I'm, I'm, I'm elevating someone else's material. I'm taking someone else's material that was maybe people did not like and say well, you're all wrong it's really good and here's why it's really good so the, the idea of that as well the sort of um was was exciting because i just didn't i i love talking i love telling people about stuff that i've read or seen that i thought was great i love recommending stuff to people everybody does that yeah everybody i love does. it what's the first thing that people they want you to like whatever they're into they yeah join the tribe don't they absolutely because if but, you like what i like you might understand me a bit better yeah and that's it's a as you say it's a positive thing as well you're not putting it down and saying oh this is pants that's so it's a real positive show hmm you know, I looked up the reviews for the Burbs. We did a bit of research, and I was I was shocked. I mean, they did. It wasn't just that they didn't like it. I mean, they hated it. I mean, they were they they was just hated. And I, you know, saying this this film lacks any imagination or creativity. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you, you what? You know. So I mean, this this does happen. They People do just don't get it. Time. Yeah, but then some. But that kind of. Like you take like the Shawshank Redemption, which didn't do well. It was very, it was a, not a commercial success at all. But yep. over time, people went, "No, wait a minute, this film's absolutely amazing. This is fantastic." And it got, it's now got had its moment in the sun. But the idea of taking films that never got that moment for whatever reason, so maybe maybe critics did like them or they flopped or maybe or maybe you know critics hated them, but they were they were a modest success. It really just has to be. I think we're looking at films that that are very good, but for whatever reason, never as I say, had their moment in the sun. They deserved some recognition for actually being really good work. And looking at it, I always look at it from a writing point of view. So I always it always starts with well, this is a I really like the premise of this film. I really like the execution of the story. I really like the characters. I really like you know, and I suppose. I see, I, I, I see things, I, I, I'm always in the writer's head when I'm watching it because I can always kind of see it from this scene was constructed and that would have, you know, I, I see it in a more analytical way. So when I see good work and someone saying it's not good work, I'm like, well, you're, no, you're wrong. <laughs> you're just wrong. <laughs> so I love, I love, that was exciting. I went, finally, I get to speak very passionately about some things that I really like without bringing them down that was always my concern if we did some sort of show where we we looked at films that it would it would turn effectively turn into a review show and then i would be criticizing things and i i don't want to do that because i know how difficult 
it is to make something that's good. And I know how easily it can go wrong just for a few elements here or there, the whole thing can come off the rails. And it's a very difficult... I like reading about a movie usually just before or after we've watched it, you know, the behind the scenes stuff, cast, names and what else they've done. And the big thing that I've I've always checked as well, that's why I quite liked your your series initially, is you can see how much the production cost and Mm -hmm. what it made back at the box office. Now, I know that that's not always the bottom line because you can have merch spin-offs, you can have, it can recoup through rentals and blah, blah, but there's some movies out there you'd just be surprised that, as you said, tanked financially, Mm -hmm. big hits. Ones, I went on a bit of a journey on Wikipedia reading stuff. It started with the pubs and I went through and I can't remember what one, but some of these movies are like, that made her much. The, the good example... So in a movie that you didn't think, like it could just hit certain international markets or stuff, hit the right time, you know, summer blockbuster or maybe there was something happening politically or whatever. Well, the, the one, the big example is It's a Wonderful Life, which was a complete critical commercial failure it was an absolute train wreck it was a disaster it, it didn't do yeah, anything you can't get past christmas without it being you, no you can't and it was like it was almost work. like a, a little bit of luck was jimmy stewart had just come back from world war Two, and he and he he looked like he'd aged about 20 years in the space of four years so the studios yeah. were looking at him going god he really doesn't look right at all well he wouldn't of course he wouldn't he's just been in a war and the it's film like a Premier League manager, isn't it? Yeah, he's an A-list American presidents and yeah. Premier League football managers. They just age. It's yeah, exactly. So this this guy, so he he's like he's sort of the he he's the everyman, as you see in Tom Hanks has effectively replaced Jimmy Stewart as the Hollywood everyman. So they go to make this movie, and it's like it's about a guy who's going to kill himself, and we're going to say you know we're going to put it out to Christmas, and they're going right, okay, this doesn't sound very good, and it didn't do well. And apparently, what I read was. I've quite got this right. Basically, the the rights to it were released to some little TV cable company because the studio just thought so little of the film that they just wanted to bury it. So this little, t- t- I think, maybe not quite quite my facts right here, but it ended up getting bought by this little cable company, the full rights. They started putting it out over Christmas and it, it just became this huge thing. People just went, this is amazing, and now it's considered one of the greatest films ever made, which it was. It was It was, It was. was one of the greatest films ever made when it tanked. That hasn't changed. You know, the yeah. fact that people didn't recognise that is not relevant. And that's it's kind of... It's amazing, isn't it? When you, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Absolutely. And, and Corey Feldman was... He was, like, one of the young teen stars, wasn't he? You had Tom Hanks, obviously, Carrie Fisher. Um, I will say, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of... A couple of the characters that I said to you, I think they could have cast better, but... You're wrong. <laughs> different genres kind of mixed together. Let's get that kind of Adam's Family horror. Yeah, I, I just I just love the film. I just... I love the concept. I love the humour. I love the sense of humour. I love the I love the, the execution of it. I love, I love the way it's directed. I love... I, it's just... For me, it's just like... It's just like the perfect movie to me. It's just so great. And I couldn't understand why you know Joe Dante who was obviously a very talented director and still is a very talented director was getting accused of showing no imagination and you're thinking what in the name of what are you I just I couldn't understand that and I thought well that before I knew it I was writing down lists of all these other movies that I love that I know did not do well and were years on from them and they've still not really being recognised, that would I wouldn't we wouldn't do an episode on a film that's finally you know we wouldn't do an episode on it's a wonderful life 
because it's now had its recognition. People now say, do you know what? Fair enough. This is really good. What we want to do with this, yeah, exactly. What we want to do is turn the films that we, we, we sort of, we do the video essay on. We want to turn them into those films. We want people to relook at them and, and, and love them as much as, as much as we do. That, and that's exciting to me that I get to elevate someone's material as opposed to bring it down which is it's very yeah. easy to bring down it's very you watch some don't get me wrong I watch a lot of video review shows on YouTube and they're really funny And but it's much easier to critique something and savage it than it is to elevate it that's yeah, yeah anyone can anyone can savage something but it's much easier and I suppose that was that was it so that, thank you know lockdown has brought about this this kind of new project, and we'll just you just see see where we go from here, I guess. Obviously, not spoilers or anything, but one thing I did like was it's like kind of subconscious things, the imagery that they put in the movie that you had highlighted, and I really like stuff. Like that. I often get um, a hard time for some of my pals. You know, I'm, I'm talking about you're going to talk about lightning here, big man. You shut yeah. up, man. I want explosion and boobs in my movies. Couple of the subconscious things just to get you into that general feel that people don't actually realise. And as somebody as you says that when you're in the know and you get to do something professionally, like even in my photographs, I know like you don't put certain things in certain places, but sometimes you do to kind of fool people. And it's all these subconscious things that even when you do these things, your viewer doesn't have to understand it's getting done. And they start knowing about basically what subconscious means. It's you don't really realise pushes it to another level, and it says, "I like." Of course, it you does. Done it. You've done it for two different things, and I'm like that. The su- really, it, it's really sub- subtext is the only. There is no film or television show or piece of art or any be it music, literature, whatever that of quality that doesn't have subtext. Everything has everything of real quality has subtext. Whether you you consciously realise the subtext is there, it is there. And one of these things I I tried to think about, I remember when I was kind of doing scripts years ago and I was trying to get better at it, was to try and think about when you would see a seemingly simple stage direction, you would say, well, okay, but why did the why did the writer choose to start the scene there? He could have started it anywhere. It's like the, that in the video we referenced, the, the, the kind of the bike wheel. And you say, well, the, this is the opening shot after the sort of the prologue scene. The director can put the camera anywhere he wants, you know, but he chooses to put it there. Why did he choose to put it there? There's a reason. He doesn't just do it for no reason. The people that work on these things don't just, oh, we'll just stick the camera there and we'll see what happens. You know, people of that level, which at the time Joe Dante was, he was, he was an ALS director, they don't make these choices willy-nilly. They think about them quite deeply. And you, but the idea is that you, the audience, don't really, you don't really pick up on it. You feel it. It's more a feeling you get from it rather than a conscious, consciously notice it. And the, you know, and this was this was when the accusation of devoid of imagination, and I'm like, wow, that's just not even close to true. Yeah, it was getting the, the clips that you brought up. They were ripping it to shreds. Yeah, and I, was, I was quite surprised. But again, mate, that is a thing that I was surprised. You're looking back at these movies, and I think even Stephen King. You know, you, you touched on Shawshank Redemption. He didn't like that. Some of the movies that. It's like you're like nah, no feeling that, but some of the movies make huge amounts of money, and it's a bit of a gamble. You know, one of the most successful movies for a production cost to actual making money ratios ever was Deep Throat. 
which was in the hands of the Mafia. Is that right? Throat, Deep Throat is one of the first pornographic movies that get shown in kind of mainstream cinema. Oh yeah, I, 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 I think I remember um, that, yeah. Well not remember, I wasn't born when that came out, but I remember reading about that. Yeah, when you read it, the amount of money that made the Mafia alone, um, it's actually quite a sad tale because the, the main star, Linda Lovely, she had a horrible life, if you ever read up into that, horrific really treated like dirt and stuff and the people just making money like Hollywood eats up and spits people out yeah as you know and it says the star one of the stars of the movie the Bubs was Corey Feldman and we see him with him he's he's had a horrible time and he's kind of outspoken on these things that are happening in Hollywood and things that are getting exposed now finally so it's, it's a strange thing because it gives us some of our happiest memories ever, you know, some of these movies and you're just thinking behind the scenes, you're like, wow, what a crazy, crazy place Hollywood was. I think it's a, it's an industry where if you go into it with the wrong intentions, you're going to have a miserable life. So if you go in, I've always thought this, you've got to go into it for the right reasons. It's like, if you want to be an actor, okay, well, why do you want to be an actor? Do you want to be an actor because... I want to be know, famous, I want to make the money. Yeah, That's you know, isn't you it? say then you don't really want to be an actor. What you want is to be, you want people to know who you are, which is yeah. a totally different thing. Um, if you want to be, see, when I always find with actors, the actors that I always kind of like are the ones that you just, you'd see that they don't care about the, the, the glamour of it. It's really about how can I get the part that's the most interesting to me or bring the most interesting thing I can to whatever the role is, no matter how mundane the role may be, how can I make it? Relationships between directors and actors that yeah. like, brings the best out of me. Yeah, know. and you, th- this Did is... you find that, going back, you get Martin Scorsese, Bobby De Niro, I think it was, it was actually on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I can't actually remember how many times it was, but the amount of movies that Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese had made, I think it was about nine You've got guys like Bill Murray and Wes Anderson that yeah. run tons of movies. I just think that, like, you, I would say to people, you know, if you... Right, you say you really want to be, uh, I don't know, you want to be a filmmaker or you want to be a director or a writer or an actor or whatever it is you want to do, you say to them, if I were to say to you, you can do this the rest of your life and you'll never really make any money at it, would you still do it? Would you still want to do it because you like it so much? And if the answer is yes then you might actually go on to be successful at it. But if you go into it with the wrong intentions, because it's such a, it's a skill, it, it's competitive and it's, um, you've got to be really, really good. So it's yeah, this thing like, you've got to, you've got to be really, really good. To yeah. really rise above heavy competitive, very talented people. And that's one thing I love about the movies. You just, sometimes you'll get a, a director or an actor that just springs out of nowhere and they just sometimes they only had a short run because I quite like I know he kind of fallen off his perch a wee bit is it M. Night Shyamalan mm-hmm. yeah yeah. like he the Sixth Sense and Signs and stuff I thought they were fantastic he was making and what was the other one was it called The Village or something he did The Village he did the big one yeah, that was it, that kind of came off the rails for him was The Lady in the Water that was like a real flop and then he he and it's the last of this style bender or whatever you called it. But he did yeah, bender, it just, yeah. he, he just hit this wee, the few movies were enough. And it says sometimes it's hard to keep the momentum going. 
I'm a big fan of Spike Lee, and he was destined for huge things, and I don't think that could ever happen. But I'll be honest, I do. I like most of his movies. I can sit and watch them. He made a really good one, maybe for your show actually. Twenty um, fifth hour. Have you ever seen that? I've. Ed Norton? I. I know. I've seen a couple of Spike Lee movies, but not that many. Being honest, uh, that was Ryan Cox. That's a little known movie that I think is really good as well. Um, but just say they just you get these guys that. Sometimes it's just not appreciated, as you say. Sometimes it, make, it takes time to soak in, and most of these pioneers never really get the acclaim that they deserve. It's usually the yeah. second wave after that they take in all the good bits. Well, the one M. Night Shyamalan's an interesting example because obviously he did Six Sense, then he did Unbreakable. Now, I, I personally think Unbreakable is actually his best movie. No, don't. I really you like need, Unbreakable. You need to change it back. Six Sense. Is I think right. I, I think Six Sense is an awesome movie, so but it's I, a creepy movie and so with Unbreakable, what I I I like, I I think that the idea is actually very original. It's a very good idea. It's a clever idea. It's like a superhero movie that's not a superhero movie. It was yeah. a clever. A very I think clever that's why idea. Not too well because I think people were expecting. It, it was a success, but it wasn't the sixth sense. But then you've obviously then made a lot of films that start. He started getting sort of critically, you know, attacked and things. But he's had a bit of a revival. The last two movies he did, um, I saw. Oh God, what was it called? It was. Um, it was this little sort of um, found footage thing about this these kids who go to stay with their grandparents, and um, it's actually pretty good. I mean, genuinely, it was actually pretty enjoyable, and um, but the point I was making there was M Night Shyamalan, like he he sort of exploded onto the scene, um, but then the big problem was he was famous for being the big twist guy, but that then eventually becomes a problem because every single time you the first frame of your movie, everyone starts trying to guess the twist. That's why Unbreakable was everyone was expecting them to rip his shirt off and to be like a Superman emblem underneath but I really liked the idea I, I really loved the idea and he subsequently did a sequel um, I don't know if I don't want to spoil these movies the James McAvoy ones don't spoil movies but I, I think I know what one you're talking about but again I've definitely fallen off his train right he's done basically he's done two sequels to Unbreakable okay and one of them Get, do you know? I thought it was a it was a good movie, and I, I I really liked the ending because what I thought was really quite clever was that it's actually like a hidden sequel. It's a sequel, and you don't even realise it's a sequel, right. and then you realise it's a sequel. And I was like, "That's a good ending." He's actually come up with a new twist that actually threw me. Um, and then he made the third film, which um, again I kind of enjoyed. But if nothing else, you get to see James McAvoy being absolutely awesome because he's just. Yeah, he he's just awesome in everything. Yeah, he's, a great actor. he's so good, and it's like so. No, I one of the things is when people are kind of ripping into M Night Shyamalan, I think to myself, well, what have you ever done with your life? You know, it's like this guy's made a couple of movies. Know, that's exactly. Yeah, what I always say it's like people. No matter what you do, there's always people out there that want to see you fall. They want to help. Ah, absolutely. Yeah. Particularly Especially in Scotland, I if think. If you have been successful, they definitely want that, and it says you, you don't really take the people into consideration. You just got to do your best and see a guy like M. Night Shyamalan as well. I'm like off the top of my head. I wouldn't have thought he was even that old. So no, he's not. He's still quite young because he, he made Sixth Sense in his twenties, I think. Sometimes people need to. You can have all that success, but it's like Oasis when they first came out. Like how many years have they been writing these songs, fine tuning them? So you put all your work out there, and then I think sometimes it gets to a point you're like shit. 
with our ideas. We've used everything we had that was fine-tuned. We came out with stuff that we'd done maybe a bit quicker, not the same thought, that kind of lulls, and then, or they probably not, because they never had the second wave as much, but I just, it's hard for people to kind of regroup and come up with that growth that they had again. Sometimes you get too comfortable. You know, Very few people, easy, yeah. You're not going to come the best stuff. You need to basically... Yeah. Throw yourself yeah. back into it and not everybody's capable of it. It's unbelievably difficult to sustain a long-term career in this particular industry, like in terms of making constant, like just constant success. It's like, yeah. there's, like, there's like a handful of people that have accomplished that. And even of those handful have had long periods in their career where everything they were everything they were making was just not successful at all. Yeah, you, you know? forget with certain stuff. You may be a bit more forgiven to forget stuff. Like even Robert De Niro, now... That guy's career was phenomenal, and then recently he's he was made, he's very much turning into a parody of himself. Yeah, he's just that an age. I think he's no, just to that age now where he's like, whatever. I, I've got nothing to prove. Who cares? I'm just going to do what I want. You know, that that's how I kind of look at it. It's like he's what is what is he what is he, he's got nothing to prove. So to me, know, he's just doing his early stuff and his mid stuff just amazing, and sometimes. It's maybe good to retire because you can go out in a high. It's like that boxing guy that is tremendous, and then he has a couple of losses, and he keeps on chasing it, and then his whole legacy is tainted by that final finish that he probably should have maybe. Have maybe, but I don't think I, I don't. I don't think it is. I I don't think it's like. Okay, so let's take Oasis as an example, right? You say okay, so what's their best album? Definitely, maybe. I think most people would agree that definitely maybe is the best album they made. It was also their debut album. Morning Glory was critic well, was commercially just a monster. But generally speaking, people say, you know, after after sort of the sort of the Nebworth gigs and all that that they did that it was kind of downhill from there. Now that's not to say that the later stuff they did wasn't any good. But you're saying, well, at the end of the day, these guys still you know, someone will say something like they only made one truly exceptional album and you're like oh oh no they only made one album that's like people think it's one of the greatest ever made I mean you know like what are you talking about the, to even make to even write one song that's considered one of the best songs ever let alone one of the best albums you know you get okay, you're not okay so the Beatles like okay bang 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 everything <laughs> that, that's, it's everything they do just seems to turn to gold but it's like but not everybody's the Beatles it's enormously difficult and you it, it's that's that's why I find because they could reinvent themselves. I think that's another sometimes that if like Oasis, they never strayed too much from what they done. If you like, no, always laughing. People would say the Oasis stuff sounds like Oasis and all that. Well, that's the sound. They're good at what they do. They they, they, they focused the on yeah. Beatles, well, they evolved. They pushed boundaries, and as what you says, that's few and far between. And um, God, we know music. You get the hit singles, the one hit wonders, and then they disappear. But as you said, that one single, especially back in the day, could set you up for life. Aye, and actually, I, I remember the House of Pain uh, jump around somewhere. Yeah, right? I remember it. You remember it well, yeah. He says he still gets the checks, and <laughs> he's like, "Holy mm. shit!" It's, it's, that's that's kind of my point. It's like I, I read an interview with, with uh, Mark Hamill, and um, he said that for kind of years after Star Wars, he was kind of bitter and jealous towards Harrison Ford. Because he obviously went on to have like a mega career, like just crazy, yeah, one of yeah, the most famous the actors ever. And he, he was bitter about it because he said, you know, I, I was the main character in it and yet I, I didn't go on to have that career. And it was eventually, he said that he was doing some Broadway show and he put in the, he, Carrie Fisher came that night to see it because obviously they were still friends and 
he'd put in his, you know, these the little books you get, I don't know even what you call them, you buy and you get to see all the cast and all the, what they've done. And he put, okay. um, I, and in the 1970s and early 80s, starred in uh, three commercially successful science fiction movies. So Carrie Fisher came into him at the end and said, look, what are you doing? She says, you can never escape those, you, you'll always be Luke Skywalker. I'll always be Princess Leia. Stop fighting it. Stop trying to run away from it and just embrace it. So he did. And then he said it sort of changed his sort of frame of mind and his attitude was at the end of the day, I was Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. You know, who who else? What actor would, how many actors are there in the world that would give anything to have one role that they're really remembered for? I mean, that's just like amazing. So you weren't Harrison Ford and you didn't get to be, you know, one of the cool, not just one of the coolest characters ever, but two of the coolest characters ever. You know, only a handful of actors ever accomplish something like that but to just be what you were which was you were the main character and the hero in the biggest film of all time that will probably be the biggest film forever you thought you know eventually he just kind of embraced it and he was like you know what that's fine kids come up to me in the street and they want me to be Luke Skywalker that's fine you know I'm not going to be sort of so he just kind of changed his whole attitude and then he went on and did you know, in voiceover work and stuff I don't know if you know he had a really good career in voiceover uh, famously doing the voice of the Joker for all the Batman shows, to the point that he was so good that the fans were lobbying Chris Nolan to cast him in The Dark Knight. And he's apart, just, he's, he's, he know, seems he comes across a really cool guy as well. I don't follow much to that stuff anymore, but I've seen him like crop up in Twitter and stuff, and he's he's a very intelligent, funny, witty guy. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's it's one of these things where listen, people look at Sylvester Stallone. He's oh, he's, I love Sylvester Stallone. I do. I love him. Of course, but he's considered by many as like a a bit of a knucklehead, if you like. And I'm like, well, he's very he smart. Oh, of course. I says, look at your first blood. I actually just bought the the latest installment on DVD for my father-in-law's birthday, which I can't wait to see because his recent Rambo movies and that have been dead gory, but they're brilliant. He knows. Look at the Rocky. See the. The Creed movie and everything. Creed was great. I really enjoyed it. I, I I love listen. I love Rocky movies. I do. I love them. And but it just I just meaning like he was considered like uh, you're going back or oh, typecast and stuff. But imagine like Sylvester well, Stallone actually wrote like the Rocky and the John Rambo. Sylvester Stallone has won. He down in history and movies that he wrote both of them. He's won an Oscar and, and yeah, he's won an Oscar. He won. I'm I'm pretty sure he won the Oscar for best screenplay for Rocky and he won the Golden Globe for his performance in Creed and he won another Golden Globe for Rocky. I think Best Actor he won the Golden Globe for the original Rocky. So he's I mean, this this is a thing, it's like even the expendables when he's he's actually reinvented himself. He's like, he's found a way to cut yeah. old guys, Van Damme, Dolph Longhams, and he's had everybody. He's got up and coming guys, the action stars Jason Stratham and he says he is a guy that they all gravitate towards. He actually posted a really cool picture up on his Twitter. Sorry, his Instagram probably, I'm going to guess, about half a year ago that they were watching. What were they watching? I think it was the boxing. Was it the Wilder Fury boxing match? But yeah. in his house, he's got Arnold Schwarzenegger sitting up the back. He's got like Bill Burr, who I consider probably the best standard comedian. Yeah, Bill Burr, man, he's funny. He is a funny guy. <laughs> just get a who's who. He had a Marvin, you know, Marvin Hagler, um, Leonard. You know, he's, he's got all these guys around him and he's just sitting there in the middle with the coolest guy as you like, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, I love, I'm a big fan. I do. I think if I met Sylvester Stallone, I would be quite starstruck. I really would. No, he also I made mean, a film. Like you... well, well, he made a film. He made another film with James Mangold called Copland. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, it. Yes. 
Copland is awesome. And probably his biggest change, you know, he, he reinvented because he was he put a lot of weight on for that role. He was very dour, just not a movie you'd expect him for that time. And if I remember, I think it was into magazine, movie magazines at the time, it get really good write-ups and stuff. They were saying the acting's fantastic and I don't I'd be interested to see what that made. It was it was a commercial success, it was a critical success, it? but it was more his performance in it because he's absolutely outstanding and bearing in mind this Amazing is Harvey man. Keitel Robert De Niro and he completely steals the show he is absolutely fantastic in that film so when people say Sylvester Stallone can't act you're like you don't know what you're talking about you put you put no. Sylvester Stallone in the right role and he's absolutely awesome and there was a brilliant story James Mangold told the director um, who's a very good director as well he made uh, Le Mans 66 I think it's called Ford versus Ferrari and he made Logan and he has just been attached to direct the last Indiana Jones movie. What That's a whole different conversation. But Copland, um, he wrote the screenplay and he, basically the studio said to him, like, what about Sylvester Stallone for this role? And he was like, absolutely not. I do not want him. Because at that time, by that point, Sylvester Stallone had kind of grown a bit of a reputation as being kind of big-headed because he'd become this massive movie star. Obviously, that was a long... He'd kind of fallen away down at that point. Yeah, but he was lost. Yeah, he was lost, yeah. So Yeah, so so he said, Sylvester Stallone rewrites dialogue. He tells directors where to put the camera. He, he only lets them film him from a certain angle. I am not working with this guy. And they said, look, he's he wants to meet you for dinner. I think it was like New York. Will you just, just go and meet him then and just you tell him that out of politeness because we've set up this meeting. So he was like, right, fine, I'll go and tell him. He says, I went to the restaurant and I got to the door, asked the kind of concierge guy at the door, look, I'm here for... And then I looked up the back and I saw Sylvester Stallone and he just put his hand up and waved to me. And, he, and James Mango was like, and I was like, ah, oh, I just instantly liked him. <laughs> just when he waved at me, I just went, ah, oh, okay, I quite like you. So he sat down with him, went through dinner and he said, right, if you do everything I tell you to do and you don't mess with anything, I will cast you. But only if you do that. And Sylvester Stallone was like, yep, yeah, okay, fine. And then when they were doing the film and they, they had it out in film festivals and everyone was praising Sylvester Stallone and they were, you know, asking him this and that because he, he, he's very self-deprecating. He was just like, I just did whatever he told me to do. So if you think I'm any good in it, it's all because of that director. Now, the reality is he was great in it because he was great in it. But the, the fact, but it was a great, it was a great story. And I, I, I it did sort of, I loved, I really, that's one of my favourite movies. I love that movie. The Copland is so I good. I haven't seen that for a long time, actually. But you know that even touches with the current situation with the the sort of police problem in America, right? I think obviously there's problems on both sides with the communities they're having to go in. They're very high crime, so you're, you're you're definitely on your toes and you're worried about your life if you have to patrol these areas. And then you're just actually not treat the people with the respect anyway that people deserve. So there's problems on both sides. But if somebody actually put. I think it was a rapper that I seen comment somewhere and he says we need to go back to having the police officers live in the areas that they police and he says I don't mean getting guys to move into South Central or yeah. you know, Baltimore inner cities and stuff he says we need the people from these areas joining the police that you're accountable you know people you're connected with people you know you've got a bit of respect for each other rather than having people that you're going into this place that you don't want to be like you need people that are comfortable and just that whole cop line that was a very interesting story as well just about the control that you can get but humans are very powerful as you know when we band together well you, cop lands a cop lands a western 
it's just it's a western that same you see that like James Mangold's other movies like Logan Logan's a western as well it's just I haven't a, seen that very good very good speaking as someone who's not that any comic book movies I I'm I, not into them at all I, I really enjoyed it it was a good it was a good character movie if I didn't have kids uh, yeah I, them. I have I there, there are some comic book many. movies I do love oh there is too many god yeah they're, they're saturated I know, I know. there's always too many I just mean literally we are oversaturated yes and I feel like you can't move and I've seen a couple of like I quite like the Superman I know that the original the original Superman's brilliant no obviously I love that I quite like the remake as well the, Man, the Man of Steel one. yeah Henry Cavill um, one I just I've not been a big fan of them I, I just like kind of movies the sort of offbeat stuff I love the gritty movies of the 70s and stuff it's actually somebody says it's difficult to make realistic movies now in our current climate because he says half half the movie would just be watching somebody texting on the phone or yeah. zipping through social media. Yeah. How do you satirise the current climate when it's just a sad the very thing is a satire by you know funny you go back, you wrote something I thought was quite cool a while back and you used the, the phone. Hmm. It was the texting back and forth and Kidder, it was it was a short it was a short for uh, BBC on set on Facebook. Was it BBC Social, wasn't it? Yeah, and the concept was that it was to be set. So we we got asked to we had written a spec script a sitcom that was set on a laptop. So that was the idea, and someone read that and liked it, and then said, "Well, they're trying to do something on a mobile, like on an app. Could you try?" And we were like, "Yeah, okay." So we then kind of got hired to write that, and it was. It's really, it's quite challenging in the sense that you, you have to, you say, well, what are the rules? Well, you have, you can only apply the rules of what exists on, on the phone. How do you make a narrative from that? Well, what have you got? What have you got to work with? You've got pictures, you've got text, you've got, you know, and, and just trying to build a story. So it was good. Just even typing and deleting stuff. I thought that was one thing that I quite like. Exactly. Because even in that says something to the audience. That's right. Yeah. So it's, it was, I, it was a, it was an, it was a challenging kind of thing to do but I really enjoyed it I mean I really I really how did, well how did you feel about the final product well I was very happy because we won an RTS award for it so <laughs> obviously I was like well, I, I thought it was really well done mate I, I was I, look at Stephen King he doesn't like Shawshank Redemption but the thing the problem right the problem for him yeah, is that he doesn't see it so the same way so many movies he likes yeah he doesn't see I, I, some of these movies like Stephen King I'm a massive fan of his right Obviously, more of the movies that I've seen. I've read a few of his books. In fact, I, I said made a conscious effort that I said I need to start reading more of his books because I love that Americana that he writes and he does it so well. He doesn't like things. I'm like, oh, mate, that's a masterpiece. The Shining is one of the greatest movies that has ever been done, and he doesn't like that. So I'm just wondering, like you, is like I really enjoyed watching that. Obviously, I'd never read the script or anything, but I just looked and I thought. That was very well done for something that could be so boring and tedious, watching like the people texting and stuff. But it was just a few things that were done, and I thought that was really neat. So I was just wondering what you kind of thought about that. Well, that, for me, Stephen... Because it definitely deserved it, mate. Well, Stephen King's... Um, I mean, in terms of why he tends not to like adaptations of his books is because, first of all, most of the adaptations aren't any good. And secondly, of the adaptations that actually are good... It's difficult for the writer of the original book to ever be completely on side with what they do with the movie. I mean, I speaking know, but from... you must watch that and even see the enjoyment that it brings people. Like, Okay, so maybe if you're... You sat... read, if you read Rhea Hateworth and the Shawshank Redemption, it's a very, very dark... All Yeah, but see people who write and who work in that industry, all they see are all the things they hate about their own work. I don't like anything I write. 
once it's out there, I don't like it. I don't listen to them. I don't watch them. I can't watch them because all I see are all the things that could I have done a bit better there. Could it have been a bit better here? You should be watching it to get better, but well, you yeah, right. Play. So there's an analytical way of looking at it, sure. But stand up and he records it and he says a lot of the guys like, oh, I can't sit and listen to myself. What I'm good is that I like to listen to the full podcast that. Uh, I'm trying to enhance technical things, like just enhance the audio. So I'm listening to the full thing, and I look back and I'm like, "Well, that was wrong. I didn't pronounce that word right. I interrupted him." Yeah, that's. I mean, that's normal. Over, uh, you know, and there's so many plot, and I'm I'm trying to make a conscious effort to maybe correct these things, and I'm sure I'm making them again. But even if we can just tuck it in a wee bit and learn, I think it will get better. So he was talking about his stand-up that he says I was one of the first guys. Oh, sorry, it was another comedian. He says I remember you used to come and you used to set up with your camera or you, or you'd at least have a recording device and he says I could never listen to myself and he says well how do you know what works and what doesn't and I just thought that is it's it's hard and I'm way over it I, I know how I sound and I know I say something what's funny and I'm not that polished but I want to get better so I'm just over it and I'm like I'm over myself I don't care how I sound it used to be like remember is that how I speak it used to be the, the big thing people were like is that is that, is that, is that my voice is that my voice so I'm yeah. kind of over it and I just want to get better you got to go back and see the small things you can maybe even incorporate in that i'm not telling you how to suck eggs mate i said you're a writer and i'm not but i think maybe just going back and going over things getting over that thing like oh i've done this or i wish this had, you know getting maybe pissed off you've not control but i definitely think that going back will only elevate your work as well going going back and looking at your work and trying to work out where you could improve it is one thing but in terms of once it's out there to a, to a general audience and it is what it is it's like you don't enjoy you don't sit down and watch your own stuff you don't enjoy that because you don't by the time you're finished on something you've just got no idea if it's any good anymore it's just you've just worked on it for so long that you know every single cut you know every single fit every single you know inside out and you just you don't even know anymore and that that's what happens so you, you put it out there feeling kind of it's not yours well, 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 like, like you just you don't feel anything. You're not you don't you don't put it out there, and you're like, oh, I'm so excited to get this out there. You're like, okay, let's see what happens. But if well, you, you could be beat up by it as well. You can spend too much time in something. You can, but to actually revisit stuff. But but that's why you know that's why people like learn. Stephen King does. He will not enjoy it. He will not enjoy it because it's hard for him. It's very like I said I, last time I was but on. He's a nutter, really. You must be. No, it's it's well the movies. That have, it's all writers. Listen, all people in this industry are like that. I mean, I, I reference William Goldman a lot and he is an unbelievably successful person and he said that the only two things that he's ever written that he actually likes is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Princess Bride. He says, I don't like anything else. Now, bearing in mind, he wrote The Marathon Man. He, wrote all, he adapted All the President's Men. He won Oscar for that. He's really successful novelist, really successful screenwriter with a ton of movies that, that people know. And he doesn't like any of them. He says, I can't watch them. Apparently Robert Redford's, Robert Redford's like that. He can't watch anything that he was in. He just can't bear to actually see himself on screen. And Adam Driver apparently is like that. Adam Driver is apparently like, he gets, he feels physically ill watching himself on screen, like when he's in premieres. And he's a great actor and he just can't, he can't it bear must it. It be difficult because... Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. It's, it would oh, be oh. great to be an actor, right? And be in a movie that you were uh, into, like a guy myself i'd love to be in like a you know crime thriller or just whatever just a, a really good movie but you see these actors and 
Oh, they just stuff that they have to do. I remember reading uh, Marlon Brando's autobiography, and it was about he was going to the Lee Strasberg classes, whatever, learning his trade. And apparently, he was really good at being a cash register or something. Mm. And I'm like, going up in front of a class, a bunch of people and kidding on you're a chicken or something. And I'm like, oh, I, I just I struggle with that. So I think maybe acting, you're so immersed in it, but watching it back must be difficult actually because. It's not yourself, and when you're not being yourself, you can feel very uncomfortable as well, can't you? I always tell people, like, even photographs, your best photographs, and as you know, probably the video too, is, like, when people are being natural, they're very comfortable with themselves. Well, well for example... the fakes, fake smiles and forced actions that people are like, oh, God, they're uncomfortable there, you know? Yeah, well, the thing is, like, there was a story, there was an anecdote about Rob Reiner, who made, directed Princess Bride, Misery, um... Stand By Me, I think he directed that, and also This Is Spinal Tap, right? So this is a very successful guy. And apparently, many, many years after the fact, he phoned up William Goldman, and he says, Princess Bride's on the TV, and I just realised that I put the camera in the wrong place for that scene. And I don't even... (laughs) So he's in years after, even though now people love this film, even though you're getting kudos for it, all he sees are things that he wishes you could have done better, what things that he could have improved upon. And that, that's the unfortunate the reality of it that you don't really get to enjoy. You don't yeah, get to enjoy what, it. That's what makes them good. Yeah, that's what makes... Exactly, that's what makes them good. And it's like there was a... I forget the name of the guy. You might remember his name. He, he, he made the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He directed the Avengers. He's a really... He's very... Anyway, he's a very successful guy. And he was apparently shortlisted to do the new star, The Force Awakens, he was shortlisted for that and obviously J.J. Abrams got the job and then they asked him about it at the time because he went on and did The Avengers, which was massive. And they said, were you disappointed you didn't get Star Wars? And they went, yeah, of course, because, you know, it's Star Wars. He says, but you know what? Now I get to go and watch the movie and I can enjoy it. Because if I had made it, it would ruin Star Wars for me. I'd never be able to watch Star Wars movies ever again because the one I made in my head is just garbage compared to what everyone else contributed. And that's that's what happens with people who work, you know, people, the, the artistic people who just keep trying to push themselves to be better. The problem is you could always be better. You could always improve. And there's never a moment that it's... Per- I can look at someone else's work and say to me, this is perfect, but the person that made it will never feel that way about it. No, and that's, that's Stephen like, King. When that- you get comfy, when you get comfy, you, you don't tend to your best it's just i just find it funny because stephen king especially like are such you know like i keep going back like shawshank redemption probably makes top five in most polls for yeah. greatest movies of modern times you know and i think that the acting and everything is just amazing again mind you if you get morgan freeman narrating it you've always got a good chance of making a good movie and, the, and a great example in shawshank redemption is the original ending of the film um, was the bus driving away and Morgan Freeman just saying that he hopes that he might find Andy in Mexico. I hope that the ocean is as, uh, you know, is as blue as it was in my dreams, I hope. Now, that's the scene right before the last scene, but that was how they ended the film. That was how they wanted to end the film, but they put it out to a test audience and they were kind of bummed out because they were like, oh, but I want to see if he found Andy. The director was like, no, but that's not the point. The point is that, you know you come away wondering what if, but they kind of relented and they shot the final scene. Who, 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 put, who put the poster fully up after he went through the hole? Uh, the implication to me, through. the implication to me is it just rolled back on itself. So the way the way it was folded was you lift it up and it just drops. Let it go. <laughs> look at, 
Look at it again. I know, I like, I like Cody. I'm not, Co- right, well, that's it. Like, if you're talking continuity. I'm not, I'm not even the guy to go and look. You can see a boom stand or whatever. I'm just, yeah. I always like the ones that I remember saying it to this guy and I just destroyed his, his life. I just remember, like, oh, I never thought of it that way. But, the, the, you know, the, these these are things like, well, he reshot that fight. So he did that final scene on the beach and he put it in the movie and he just wasn't happy. He was like, oh, man, this is cheesy. They shouldn't meet at the end. Yeah. It's too much. But you take that scene out, it, the, the film isn't as good. It's not going to be any good. That film, that scene is what makes it because the idea, you say, if we've sat for nearly three hours seeing these people essentially go through hell, we need to see the bit at the end where they're happy. We need to see it. But he didn't want to do it. And when I heard his reasons why, I actually was like, from a, a sort of a, from a storytelling point of view, I actually understood the point. It felt... That's one of the long movies that I feel doesn't feel like a long movie. No. I remember... Uh, when Titanic came out I took my wife to go she wanted to go see it she liked Celine Dion and blah blah and we, we went to see it and oh my god I felt every minute of that sitting there and watching it it was just such a long movie it's, it's... Shawshank Redemption just flies through so does Casino but it's funny because that's a very long movie Shawshank Redemption but that was taken from the short story so it yep. must be even hard that you get guys who are making novels into movies and that is difficult like I, I've read a book called the Iceman, which is a story about Richard Kukunski, who was a mafia hitman. Mm-hmm. And it was a very exposed a lot of stuff. He actually, funnily enough, going back to uh, Deep Throat, he was a guy, he, he was in amongst that because he was making copies of the videos yep. and selling them as well on behalf of the mafia and doing it for himself. But the book is it's so raw. It exposes so much stuff for the mafia, how they used to do things, how... They killed people, how they disposed the bodies and stuff. He worked with a guy like a Tony Tony DeMille, who's one of the most brutal mafia guys ever. And the movie was terrible, man. I think, and I quite like the actor who, funnily enough, was in this the Man of Steel. Is it Shannon something? Shannon? Uh, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. He he plays Richard Kukunski, and it just it was it was it was such a flat movie. So I, I, as a difficult thing, you just says you you worked in video. It's very hard to kind of make a movie because people think they don't realise every shot counts, and you can't put too much in, and you got to make so many things work. That's yeah, and by the time and by the time you've done a cut or three or four cuts before you've even shown it to a single person, you don't even know anymore. You're you're sitting there like let's say you're making a comedy. Well, by the time you've cut it all together, you've seen the jokes in the execution ten times longer than more than that. So you're just staring at it and going, this isn't even funny. But then you've got to remember, yeah, but when you put it out there, people have never seen it. You've seen it. So that that's when it gets hard because then you go, right, but does this even work? Does it, have I just looked at it too much? Or, well, you, you know. Your new project, when you sent me it, right, I knew I was going to enjoy it anyway because the whole movie things and I enjoy your work, but I was really taken aback. I liked how you, you wrote it and it was what really sold me. I, the editing was fantastic. This is you can make a really good movie, and if the editing's that's like the final thing. It's such a huge thing. Like I always heard, like oh, they brought in a new editor because they spent months and months yeah. doing it. Some of the directors sit in with the, the editor, and then other guys that are tried and tested. Like I think people watching yours will really enjoy just how it's edited. It's got a lot of comedy, and I like the facts and stuff as well. Um, well, yeah. this and as much as you disagree with me and we're going back to it like, I can disagree with you because I think I really enjoyed the movie um, I just felt that it just kind of, it would have been stronger I think the two male neighbours 
a better character actor for that would have really elevated that movie. But um, fantastic movie. And the way you break it down and stuff, it's really good. I think people like it, mate. So well, is hopefully. It, is, it, is it out just now? Or well, it people, will be... I'd like to put a link in. It, yeah, well, by the time this pod, by the time this podcast is out there, yes, it will all it will be up. So right, that's good because I want to get it. Out. I want people to see it, um, and I've seen it in a rougher state, didn't I? Because yeah, you saw a, a, audio. Yeah, we remixed the the voiceover in studio, and we I I really do the which studio the do you do that? I, I got my, my I got a pal uh, Chris who's an actor, and he's got a, a studio in his house, so he What's very. That like? It was interesting. It was it was in a cupboard under the stairs, you know these little cupboards, shoe cupboards. So, but uh-huh. it was it was very good. I mean, it was all soundproofed out, and you know he had a really good kit. So what's he doing? Is he reading his lines in there? Well, he does. He does. He so he'll do on top of like if he's he he does voiceovers for video games. He does all kinds of stuff. So he's got like that home studio. So he can just do the do the actual recordings there, and then he can just send them the files. Um, so it's great. Yeah. Could you get a photograph of this we set up and maybe before the Do you know what? Yes, yeah, I actually do have a couple of pictures. Yeah, I'll, I'll forward them on to you. But they're, yeah, they're, they're very like cool. The sound treatment, again, I've not really done it here, but even I recorded a, a podcast just there and I didn't use the the pop filters. Yeah. And it's funny just how seeing you refine stuff. Like, I would like to get a more sound treated area to do it. And I, I've got some things I want to do, but it makes some difference. And I think. That polish will just ele- that will I keep on saying elevate or anything, but I think that will refine it so much that I think it's very professional. I, mean, I think it's something you can be proud of, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what other ones you're going to do. Well, that's the plan. We're starting episode two, or at least the outlining for it today. We know what movie we're going to do. Um, I won't tell you. You'll just well, I know you know, but I won't say it on the podcast because we'll just get it out there when episode two comes out. Yeah. But uh, so we just that's a different challenge because it's actually a totally different genre. So we're saying, right, okay, well, how do we... The next challenge is how do you make episode two like episode one, but at the same time That's different. true, because the way you've done that was very yeah. much in line with probably the absurdity of that movie. Yeah, the, so. but, but, but at the same time, has its own uniqueness. So it's these are things we haven't worked... We're, we're still working through right now. We don't know if, like, the sort of the funny side of it is... I mean, I mean, you know, when we, we initially get out here, the traffic will be... It'll be really slow traffic, but... Um, hopefully it builds and then you, you get a better picture from users what they like and what they don't like and then we'll probably get better at understanding where when we're stro- when we're at our strongest when we're not and you, you begin to tweak them again a thing I love about YouTube you can just get it out there you just you just get it out there and then you just keep working on it and then you just start you you refine yeah, it as you, you just, go along you're just sharpening your knives you're doing it in a yeah. very free state that you don't feel you know yeah enclosed you can really express yourself and as what you says like part of this why i wanted to do this today was obviously i wanted to get out there because i really enjoy your work and i want to share it with others but i also had feedback from other people saying like my big mate came back to me says that was such a good podcast he says i love movies as well he's a big fan of the, the three amigos oh, i love the three amigos says, i love he it he just says talking about that stuff and he says it really and i've had it so far i think people have really connected on Obviously, with the movies, music, and obviously the football sort of stuff. So I, I don't know if it's going to take me in that total direction. I want I'll get other people on to bring in that are talking about different things. But maybe there'll be a recurring uh, theme in the podcast. Maybe. Uh, yeah, we could, could we could get your mate on and we could talk. Movies. We could do a Three Amigos podcast. We just talk about the Three Amigos, <laughs> which incidentally <laughs> was a was a commercial failure. It didn't do well. But. Uh, oh, 
I think when you look at movies and I'm even ones, I'm like, God, breaking even is so much. It's such a fickle business. I would have so many movies, as it says, I love wiki. I go in mad wiki uh, journeys that I'm reading up, special movies, just reading about cast members. I wanted to see what happened to some people. Like even, uh, I remember, like obviously, Carrie Fisher's more well known, but the other actress that plays um, Bruce Dern's wife, she was lovely. And I just, I always wonder what people are doing. I always love to find out what. I do that all the time. I'm like, when I'm watching TV, I'm watching a TV show, I literally get my IMDb app out and I search to see what they're doing. Because I'm like, what age do you think they are? What age do you think they are now? And I look it up. What what are they doing? What are they doing? What have they done? Or, Or I'll go, I've seen them in something else. What have I seen them in? And I look it up. But I like watching stuff when a when a particularly you you can see a very good actor, you know you see like a certain show and it's like, you know the material is of a certain level. But you when this actor is performing it, you can see it actually them elevating it because they're a very yeah. very good actor. And you know that's not to say that the actors around them are necessarily bad, but you see you definitely do see certain people and shows yeah, and stuff coming out. Liars. You get yeah. outliers and everything you do that just people take it to another level that you're just like, oh, I didn't know that existed. Yeah, and it's an interesting, it's called, um, it's, it's, there's an expression the actors have, they say they talk about other actors being generous and what they mean by that is is that when they go into the scene, the actor... They together, don't they? Yeah, they so, yes, level, yeah. so, so you, you go into the scene and you start playing it a certain way and the other actor could rile against that because they don't want to do the scene that way. But that's not very productive. So what they'll do is they'll say, oh, okay, you're going that way with it. And then they'll react accordingly. And then it's like, it's like sort of little back and forth, like, like, like kind of waves. Um, and a relationship that goes work. Yeah. It's, it's, we, it's, we talk about directors and actors that work together because it says, listen, he brings the best. It's fluid. Me. That's what I, I was going to say. What I'm going to get from him. Yeah. And, and that's, I do, I really like when you see those sort of things. I've seen, I won't say who because again it's a kind of like a professional courtesy but you see a very good actor coming into a show for maybe one season who's very very good and maybe working with someone in it who's been long established in the show who's okay and you can see their performances improving when they're working with that actor you can actually see like an elevation in the performance because th- this particular actor is is, is is pushing it and going certain ways with it and in Britain making everyone around them better and you can actually see it and it's well I can I can see it. I don't I don't know if it's something people are very conscious well, of. I was speaking to somebody just today about the people that you surround yourself with. They can drag you down and they can pull you up. Hmm? And the guy I think it was an MMA fighter uh, and commentator Hardy, I can't remember what Hardy's first name is, but he likened it to bubbles and he says, see if you surround yourself with people who are uplifting, they raise you up. Mm-hmm. If you look at, he says, special people over the course of history, like your Muhammad Ali's or your John Lennon's and stuff, that people even associated with them. Made them better. Elevated them as well. Yeah. Like, England was making all the mon- uh, music, sorry, in the 60s. The bands were left, right, centre because it just elevates that whole community and people come up with you. Mm-hmm. So if you get a guy like McElvoy, you just know you're going to get a few more Scottish actors that are going to follow that lens. Yeah. When we got them producing fantastic people on the bikes, like Chris Hoy for Speed or Danny McCaskill for Tricks, they're inspiring people that can say, I can do that as well. Yeah. So you're positive role models. 
it just says I can do that as well. And or, or having the, the opposite effect that people around you are maybe not doing correct things or just leading a bad lifestyle that you get dragged down to it as well. well that, that, yeah. are. that comes full circle back to my original point about why I was always reluctant to do a review style show because that those kind of things happen on productions. You can have someone who comes into the production and they just sort of suck the life out of it and it starts to become something else that nobody really wanted it to be. So when people are reviewing that and they're sort of making fun of it, you you don't know the... They say, oh, the script's really bad. And you say, yeah, but you don't know who came in and did rewrites without the writer knowing anything about it. Or the set special effects are terrible. And you say, yeah, but you don't know how, how much time that special effects team had to put that together. If, if they had a week to put that together then you could argue that the special effects are superb. It's not to do with, it's the time that they're given. And this is there's all kinds of circumstances that lead to something kind of coming off the rails or not being very good. Now, yeah, sometimes, but that's just the outside looking in. And looking yeah, exactly, the outside. The, it's so, always easy to go out it's done. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, like That's what we all do. I do that. I'll sit in the pub and slag off a movie I don't like, right? But I, I never wanted to do it publicly. I never wanted to do it in some sort of review show because I just felt, it's, you know, I know how tough it is. You know, I really do. I, I know how tough it is. I know how hard it is to get something made, let alone get something made that is good. And, you know, that was why I always stayed away from YouTube up until that particular point. But thankfully, I think we've, we've thought of something that we really like, that excites us, that we want to do more of. So, Well, I, one of the cool things to hopefully it'll give some people an idea of movies to watch as well, you know, rather than... Yeah, saying, yeah, watch, absolutely. Watch this movie, it's watch this movie. Absolutely. And... After you've done that, my kids haven't seen the pubs, or at least I don't think so. My wife really likes the movie too, and I'm just like, well, that's a good movie night for us all again, and better putting a wee bit of positivity out there rather than negative. That's exactly it. I'm like, if at the end of the day, the what the best thing I get out of this is that some people go and watch this film and go, you're right, it's really good. Then I'm like, I'm happy. I'm like, great, there's a few more people in the world who now accept that this film is great. And that's what I want. Is you know, that's, I'd be delighted at that. You might get Tom Hanks giving you a wee shout. Oh, I doubt it. I, d- I think he's got other things to do. I, d- I don't. You know, he's getting a coronavirus anyway. He did. He's he's long since recovered, but I think he's. There was a review, an interview with him in Empire Magazine years ago, where the interviewer said to him, "Now I need to talk to you about my favourite Tom Hanks movie," and he said, "The Burbs," and Tom Hanks went, "What?" He was like, "Really?" He couldn't believe that this guy was saying this to him, and in a you know, I think it, it is one of these ones where I, I mean, like, obviously, I, I very boldly say some things in the video, right? You know, like it's the greatest film you ever made. Now people might go, "Oh, hold on, Pokemon has an element of comedy to that." I'm just saying from as my favourite from my point of view. Um, but yeah, he was quite taken aback. He was like, "Really?" Because you think about how many movies he's made, and that was one that just didn't land, and he just moved on. And before you know it, he's making a bunch of other ones that are massively successful. So he just, you know doesn't actually occur to him that somewhere down the line people might come to him and say that film was so good that's the last film he was expecting them to come and say that was really good you'd always be surprised I get it sometimes in the photographs I get somebody coming up and this is the best and they give you this is why I'm emotionally attached to this one so everybody's different we all like different things and I guess that's why some movies do well and some don't some are slow burners and some you wish you never went and seen in the first place but I think 
that'll be a successful series, mate, and I'm uh, glad you came on the show to talk about it. Thank you very much. Okay, mate, and, uh, Pash, and what we should really actually just quickly speak about is your brother. Yes. It's very much a partnership, isn't it? It is. So I work, I work with my, my brother, John, and, we, and we've been writing together for oh, a very, very long time now. And um, yeah, so pretty much everything I do, in fact, like, well, everything I do, is is we do together. It's like a Lennon McCartney thing. Yeah, it's kind of like you say. Lennon and McCartney tended to write things separately, and then they would they would overlap. They would do things separate. We you yeah. know we have we have, we do things separately. But I guess they always knew that the the influence was there. Mm-hmm. And they would say riffs and stuff. But uh, I guess I know that he's worked together. So that's a big up to you, John. So well done, mate. I will um, pass that on to him. Please do. All the best to the family, mate. Okay. Um, Thank you very much. Right, mate. Take care. Take care. Bye.